I'm gonna try to do this without laughing. Here we go. Good day. <laughs> Let the record show that Brandon laughed and I kept it together. Ah. Uh, hello. Welcome to Happy Tears. I'm Brandon. And I'm Nick. And this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art they love, so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, we discover space. I said discover instead of discuss, but you know what? We are discovering a little bit about ourselves in every episode. It's very true. We discuss James Gray's new film, Ad Astra, which stars Brad Pitt as an astronaut that searches the far reaches of space to uncover the mystery of his father and the reaches that humanity has reached. (laughs) (laughs) As well as Descender, the comic book series from Image Comics by Dustin Wynn and Jeff Lemire that follows a young companion robot as he searches for his long-lost brother and the entire galaxy chases after him. This is Happy Tears. So how's it going? It's going. I'm still trying to recover. Uh, My neck is pretty sore. Why? Well, I went to the White Denim show on Thursday. Austin-based White Denim, right? Correct. Rock band? Great, great band. One of my favorites. Every time I go, I try to keep along with the rhythms, with my, uh, you know, head bobs. And I always come out, my neck just hurting so bad. (laughs) Because it's always, it's these fast-paced, and they, they change their you know, rhythms and time signatures and stuff so much. I'm always trying to catch the groove. It's stuff that you have to nod along to. You can't resist. You can't resist. And so <laughs> I always come out and have to recover for a few days. Man. So that's where I'm at right now. Okay. They're one of those bands that I, I try to go see whenever I can. So what's new this week? The new Sturgill Simpson record dropped. Yeah. And along with it, a Netflix release, much mm-hmm. like some of these other Things we've talked about in past episodes. Yep. So I haven't listened to a lot of Sturgill Simpson yeah. a little bit. From what I understand, the new record is a lot more rock and roll than the kind of outlaw country style that he's known for. This is kind of always, I feel like, been in his back pocket. Like he's, you could tell, especially at his live shows and stuff, he's always had some songs with this energy or, um, yeah, yeah, it's just loud rock. I feel like... All country stars, male country stars want to be rock stars, and female country stars want to be pop stars. That's a theory I'm working on. <laughs> so, Maybe. like, I think about, like, Luke Bryan and, like, some of these bro, bro country. country. yeah. It's just, like, rock and roll with country twang, and they sing about dirt roads and stuff I don't care about. And then female country stars are trying to go the Taylor Swift route. I think of Marin Morris who is, she's going to put out a, a, like a straight pop record any day now, I swear. Mm-hmm. And I'm a fan of Marin Morris. I knew her in college a little bit, but just a theory, something that goes through my head. <laughs> I listened to the, the record, but I haven't watched the Netflix. I think it's just the album beginning to end, and there's it's an anime-style film, but each track is like a, essentially a new music video that has a different visual style than the previous one. Oh, wow. So it bounces around a bunch of different animation styles. And some of them, at least one, are live action. It was pretty crazy, and it gets really trippy. I mean, it was one of those things that really made me wish that I, like, smoked weed or did psychedelic (laughs) drugs of any kind because I feel like it would just enhance that experience. But 
those things give me panic attacks and <laughs> I freak out. So scared of drugs. But it was directed by a Japanese animator named Junpei Mizuzaki. It's just a different type of visual that you get from most artists, especially of this genre of music. Being the resident anime boy, I was into it. It's pretty violent. Like right out the out the bat, you get like people's heads getting blown off or getting cut in half by swords. But then it breaks into like one song. The main female character that's like hacking away at people stops, and they all do a big dance number. And it's just like random and crazy. So it's kind of fun and funky, and uh, I liked it. Yeah, the title of that is "Sound and Fury." Yes, I guess musically, it kind of reminds me of bands like Queens of the Stone Age. If you're into into them, then I think you'll like the album. Uh, I just finished the second season of The Chef Show. Ah, oh, The Chef Show is awesome, dude. I love it. Yeah. We love it. So good. And so um, speaking of animations, I love the the animations of the truck in that show. Just a fun, wholesome show. It's nice to see chefs working together, learning from each other without, it seems like without ego involved, it's a really relaxed show. Just recommend both seasons of that. I love John Favreau, dude. Yeah. Have you listened to this hip-hop artist named Tierra Wack? Oh, yeah. She's awesome. She's really cool, yeah. So I had never heard of her until uh, my friend Jessica, uh, when I was in Los Angeles, recommended her music. And her most recent album that came out last year is an album of, I think, like 14 songs that are all one minute long, which is crazy. so versatile in the different types of styles her different delivery and it's almost like she does characters in some of the songs yeah. and, and she's just very theatrical and the visuals for it are awesome she put out basically a short film that's like 13 minutes long and it's every song on the on the album gets a minute long little music video visual and it's fucking cool and weird and uh, just really well done I'll throw one of my favorite tracks on the Spotify mixtape Happy Tears mixtape check it out some happy tears moments i don't know if they any of them for me were just like straight on happy tears but there was three live performances that uh, i'm gonna recommend as just music recommendations but also they were you know emotional tracks and they were good performances uh so first on the series live from here with chris Thiele, the tallest man on earth was on there he's great yeah i love him played several songs but there's one song in particular uh, titled Somewhere in the Mountains, Somewhere in New York. And I just always love seeing how Chris Dealey interacts with the different musicians uh, on stage. He's an incredible mandolin player. And Tallest Man on Earth plays guitar and banjo. And on this particular track, he's playing banjo. And Chris is mandolin playing is wonderful. And just the interplay of them together is, is really nice. It's a really pretty track. This is on YouTube? Yeah, there's a YouTube video on the Live From Here uh, YouTube channel. Got it. Second, there's James Blake, who put out another one of my favorite records this year. Always has amazing live performances. And so he was on Kimmel a few nights ago, and they actually didn't get to show his performance because they had the guests... Uh, funny enough, it was Joe Biden was one of them, and I think they just they went over time and they had to cut his performance short, and they just said they were going to post it on YouTube and maybe have him back again. 
But the performance that he did give and that they put on YouTube is very good. It's a very stripped back performance. Like over the years, he's done a lot of more electronic stuff. And so whenever you get these like really stripped back performances from him, I think they're always really special. And they kind of just give you an idea of how amazing his voice is. Best impression for me. The yeah, the song he performs is called "Are You in Love," and it is on the the album from this year. Just really good and a great performance, and I'm sad that they couldn't air it. But uh, you can go watch it on YouTube. I'll check it out. The last one is an artist that we might be covering soon. <gasps> Her name is Brittany Howard. Yeah. Oh. And uh, she performed. An amazing track called Stay High on Colbert. Just a really lovely, dynamic performance. All the instrumentation's wonderful. She's just a star. And we will be covering her new album next episode of the podcast. That'll be episode nine. (laughs) Spoiler. Cool. All three, those emotional tracks, all worth listening to. Great performances. I have one moment of happy tears I wanted to discuss. It's actually from a couple weeks ago, and I forgot to mention it on the podcast, but it was kind of meaningful to me, and so I figured I would just talk about it today. Cool. So I was driving to Houston, Texas, from Dallas, Texas, where we live, Mm -hmm. for a photography gig. I was listening to the West Wing Weekly podcast. (laughs) I've mentioned this before. The West Wing is my favorite show, and the West Wing Weekly podcast is a podcast that covers basically episode by episode, the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to a particular episode of the podcast in which episode of the series, James Taylor played a cover of A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke, uh, a song that is very famous, but I had never heard before. You familiar? Oh, yeah. I like, there's a lot of covers of that song that I also like as well. So right. it's, it's like a very, very, it's like one of those like Hallelujah that it's covered a lot. Yes. I was born by the river In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna It's a beautiful, gorgeous song. No wonder it's so famous and popular. And it happened to be, I think, the day after the anniversary of Mac Miller's death. Mm -hmm. I think it might have been the lyrics of, like, it's been a long time coming or a change is going to come. And Mm -hmm. it made me think about Mac and what a tragedy it is that we lost him. And I wasn't a huge Mac Miller fan while he was alive, although I liked some of his earlier stuff, like Mm -hmm. the Blue Slide Park stuff. It wasn't until after his death that I went back and listened to his most recent album, and, and it just, I connected with it so much, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of cried like a baby. R.I.P. Mac, I love you, and uh, I miss you. I go to the movie, and I go downtown. I guess now on to the super brief news brief. Yeah, brief, brief, brief. So... Author David Mitchell of books like Cloud Atlas, Black Swan Green, and The Bone Clocks has announced that he has a new novel on the way, his uh, first in five years, 
and it's due out next summer, and it's going to explore the power of music following the career of a psychedelic band called Utopia Avenue, and that's the name of the, the novel. But I love his writing. I think he's a brilliant guy, and I am looking forward to a book about music in his style. Excellent. So it came out over the summer that Disney and Sony, while negotiating the upcoming Spider-Man films, walked away from the table and the whole world freaked out because we love our Spider-Man and we want him in our MCU. Well, just earlier this week, they reached an agreement to co-produce a new Spider-Man film. It looks like Disney will fund about a quarter of the film and take about a quarter of the profits and Hmm. retain their merchandising uh, rights. Also worth mentioning is... They've only agreed on making one Spider-Man film together, and Spider-Man will appear in one additional MCU film. So nothing else after that has been agreed upon, so we'll see. But that's what we're looking forward to with Spider-Man. Cool. Are you uh, familiar with the show Abstract on Netflix? I love Abstract. Very cool, sleek show about design. And so the first season covered several different designers, all the way from shoe designers to architects and so on. And I've always been wondering where this next, if we're going to get in season two, they kind of just didn't talk about it. Totally. And so it's coming back, which is great. It is back. Some of my favorites from season one were definitely the shoe designer, Tinker Hatfield, Mm -hmm. and uh, the automotive designer was really awesome. They were all great. Yeah, so the the new season uh, is another lineup of six episodes, and it highlights the design of architecture, film, culture, and more. If you like design or just want to be inspired, this is a show to check out. It's great. I love it. And lastly, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira are headlining the 2020 Super Bowl. Hooray! Yay! I mean, I I genuinely love J Lo. Yeah, she's cool. I mean, it's tough. It's tough nowadays. These it's kind of like you're running out of Super Bowl options. For sure. There's been several. Super Bowl performances that I've genuinely really liked, like Prince's I loved. I think Beyonce did great. Yeah. Super Bowl halftime is a tough gig, right? You've got to please everybody because it's the most watched, definitely the biggest thing in America. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's good. All right. That's a wrap. Boxers or news briefs? (laughs) Boxers. This is Major Roy McBride. I'm attempting to reach Dr. Clifford McBride. This is Dr. McBride's son. Dad, I'd like to see you again. So our first topic of discussion is the movie Ad Astra by director James Gray. The letterbox description reads... An astronaut travels to the outer edges of the solar system to find his father and unravel a mystery that threatens the survival of our planet. He uncovers secrets which challenge the nature of human existence and our place in the cosmos. That's a pretty solid description. Yeah, it's pretty broad, and I think the trailer gives it a little bit different depiction than that, but I think that's pretty close to a good broad description of what we're in for here. Yeah, and I never saw a trailer going into this movie, so I had seen only really like posters and other images and... Well, the nature of trailers in general is they're going to be more fast-paced, edited, quick, and so there's a lot more action in the trailer than I think is in the movie, so yeah, that's why I say that. What were your thoughts overall on this film? So we just saw this film. This, we're recording this less than 24 hours. We were in the movie theater 24 hours ago. Correct. Yeah, so. Still, you know, still thinking about it, letting it marinate, but um, I think overall, 
I liked the movie. I like what it was trying to accomplish. I think there's a lot of really excellent elements of this film, and we will get into those, but a film I definitely would recommend you go out and see in theaters, and if you have an IMAX close to you or a theater that has an IMAX screen, we did not see it on that, but I think it's a movie that would look good on that. I'm happy with what the movie did. It was different than what I was expecting. I think right away it kind of gives away that this is going to be a much more personal film than I anticipated. We're kind of going to sit with this character through the the whole journey and this is really a film about Brad Pitt's character. There is a, a great cast here but you know you're not getting much time with the other cast members. And the acting across the board is it's all very subtle. Brad Pitt's character I think is pretty engaging. I mean he's got this kind of soft unaffected you can tell he's kind of troubled under the surface but he's pretty I mean they make a point of saying like his heart rate never gets over like 88 beats per minute or something. Right. So he's almost robotic in some ways. But you can tell that there's something going on underneath this kind of blank exterior. Yeah, I think he does a really good job at holding those emotions back, but also it's in his eyes a little bit. Like there's there's something that's uh, been weighing on him. So yeah, right off the bat, it kind of starts off with this really kind of scary <laughs> accident that we learn has happened from this force field from deeper into space. Yeah, so they're on Earth. There's this giant tower like, that they're like calling. Antenna. Yeah, the International Space Antenna, mm-hmm. I think. Point door astronauts up there on the International Space Antenna. Sure is a beautiful day. Just perfect to try and contact our distant neighbors out there in the heavens. The whole purpose of it is to contact extraterrestrial life so brad pitt's like out doing maintenance he's like maybe a mile off the ground you know it's super tall because its function is to contact life outside of our own world disaster sort of strikes and it's a pretty harrowing action sequence control i'm seeing the power surge on sea post you getting that uh roger that roy uh, control we got a lot of people up there over control i think we have to Between the score and the visuals here, it just produces this sense of, uh, if you're afraid of heights, you might have more of a reaction to to this particular scene. But it starts off with a pretty action-heavy disaster sequence and then goes more into Brad Pitt's character and his just a more personal depiction of what this character is going through. And near the beginning, it's showing him going through these like ritual psych evaluations, right, that he has to pass in order to keep doing his job. And we should also note the very beginning of the film it reads in the near future or in the yeah i think it's the near future but i got the sense it's like near meaning like a hundred years or something 50 to 100 years you know yeah somewhere it's vague but it's a world where commercial space travel is a thing he flies commercial to the moon right (laughs) makes it to mars to send a message to his father who is on Neptune or near Neptune, we believe. Mm-hmm. And so, and which is the farthest any human has traveled. He's, his father has led this expedition out there. So that's just a sense of the level of technology we're dealing with. Major, what can you tell us about the Lima project? First manned expedition to the outer solar system, sir. Some 29 years ago. And the commander was? It was my father, sir. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. Uh, No data was ever recovered. Deep space missions were halted after that. Roy, we have something that might come as quite a shock to you. 
We believe your father is still alive near Neptune. We're presented with somebody who's very isolated and detached. He doesn't talk too much, but you, you start kind of getting what his thoughts are through these voiceovers that give you a little more insight into his thinking, I guess. How did you react maybe to the first time you heard that voiceover? So I think for the most part, most of these are pretty effective, especially because a lot of time that they're going on, it's just him in a room and for him to say these things out loud would be strange and it, it fits his personality. So I think it most of the time it does a good job at giving you insight to what the character is thinking. But I think occasionally it's just a little too, um, it feels like it's trying to say something or a little bit too grand of, of statements that might come off on the pretentious side. But it reminded me of like Terrence Malick films like The Tree of Life or Thin Red Line where you're getting these character voiceover, especially because it's Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt was in The Tree of Life as well. Overall, I'm on board with them. Occasionally, it it seemed, I don't know if silly is the right word, but it just wasn't uh, the best writing for me. But Yeah, I mean, I wrote, I just took a note that like one of the times he says, I should feel something. And I just wrote eye roll. Like, come (laughs) on, dude. Lines like that. Just like, I get it. You're you're trying to set up that your character is torn or conflicted or whatever Mm. or numb, but some of the writing was a little ham-fisted, I think. But overall, I think it took a while, but I think I warmed up to that voiceover over time. At first, it kind of threw me off. You get used to it. And it kind of gave... I mean, this whole movie, to me, kind of feels like Apocalypse Now, but space. Mm-hmm. He's venturing into this unknown. There are battle sequences, right? And there's this voiceover that reminds me a lot of Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. You know, this kind of soft murmur that... It's almost like he's talking to himself. It's very intimate. And I think both of their journeys, Martin Sheen's journey in Apocalypse Now and Brad Pitt's journey in this, where they're both traveling after a uh, kind of a godlike figure, right? His father, Brad Pitt's father in this, is this great, renowned scientist and astronaut that as we travel further, we get a sense of who he has become on this journey that he's taken, and it seems to take a dark path, right? right. And so I have a whole list of movies that, this movie reminded me of but at the top of the list in bold is apocalypse now yeah i'd agree there were some things that i also loved like a lot of these just kind of short sequences of brad pitt's character roy traveling were done really well like for instance the trip to the moon that they take the commercial trip seems uh very real or like what what that would look like that was fascinating. Yeah. Even just when they said, you're going to take a commercial lunar flight. And I was like, oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of moments like this. I, one I'll mention later where I literally turned to you and was like, did you hear that? <laughs> For the majority of this film, Brad Pitt's character is alone or you spend time with him and then occasionally these other characters pass through. But this is really a movie about... It's a really personal journey and personal story that his incentive is to get out and find his father who he thought was dead and he still doesn't know if he's alive or not. And it's really that relationship that we're seeing. We're seeing Roy wrestle with his childhood, but also being without his father, trying to live up to expectations, uh, following his father's footsteps. You can tell just by Brad Pitt's just subtle facial expressions. And then obviously with some of these voiceovers that uh, that seems like the point of this movie and the rest is beautiful scenes and kind of settings, but those are less important, which is one reason why I thought it was fun. The action sequences felt a little off to me throughout the movie, although I thought they were well done and 
visually striking and like cool action sequences. They kind of change the tone a bit. And I don't know if they add too much to the story because the conflict isn't, I mean, he, he makes it through every one of these things without having them affect him too much. The real thing that is affecting him is his search. Same with, I think the characters that come in that we, you know, we know their faces, other top cast members do a decent job. But you don't spend really enough time with any of them for them to have too much of an impact on the uh, story overall. And their acting's fine. It works for the film. But I guess at first, when you see the cast, you think these people are going to be pretty involved in the movie in there. That's not what what you're getting. Yeah, you get a lot of Brad Pitt alone in space. Yeah. I do want to mention that sequence on the moon. So that's like the first stop on his journey once he leaves Earth. Yeah. And uh, obviously got excited about commercial lunar travel. Of course. And then was interested in the fact that the moon is basically like a shopping mall yeah they they made it very commercialized which makes sense (laughs) right it's like capitalism always wins yeah it reminded me of uh did you ever watch the television show futurama bits and pieces but not enough to get this reference i don't think so i'd have to go back it might be the pilot but i i'll double check there's an episode of futurama where they go to the moon it's one of the earlier episodes Mm -hmm. and the moon's an amusement park yeah movie reminded me of of, i was like oh Futurama kind of did that too. Because <laughs> there was also a car chase on the moon in that episode. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. Anyway, so I did find, I know you mentioned the action sequences being well done, but overall less important to the story. Mm-hmm. The action sequence on the moon was absolutely thrilling to me. My, I had one of those moments where you realize, oh, my mouth has been wide open for like two minutes. Yeah, it is. Really well done, and, and definitely the the thriller part of this movie. And that was the uh, the moment where I turned to you because they're driving in like a lunar buggy or something, mm-hmm. and one of them goes, um, "But we have what looks like unidentified rovers approaching our position, possible pirate activity." And I turned to you. I was like, <gasps> "Space pirates!" <laughs> <laughs> But I loved it. It turns into a gunfight. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. And uh, it kind of culminates in them like going off this cliff and kind of like spinning through the air at one sixth Earth's gravity, mm-hmm. right? Into essentially the dark side of the moon. It's like right on the edge, just beautifully executed. And there is a, a video that I'll link to in the show notes. It's paired with a New York Times review. They did an episode of Anatomy of a Scene, which is a thing they do. Yeah. And they, uh, James Gray broke down this scene and how they shot all the moon stuff. And it's pretty interesting. Yeah. None of the effects or CGI in this movie ever took me out. I thought everything was felt really natural and, and real. But I think that it's funny because I, I felt the same way about the scene. And then it kind of just, they, they walk off so like... Casually? Yeah, but Brad Pitt's character is supposed to be that way. But yeah, so casually and in, in the grand scheme of things, it's like that didn't do anything. Like it just had no effect on, on the plot. But it was uh, it was a very cool thing to see. And I, I was definitely uh, thrilled. Right. Going back to your point about the moon being commercialized, I think it's the voiceover there of Brad Pitt's character says something along the lines of we are world eaters of like kind of anywhere we go and, you know, plant ourselves that this sort of thing is going to come about and money will be the focus and yeah and then i really love their suits have like these masks that go over the golden yeah the golden and it's such a beautiful visors right yeah like the visors the the way they use those reflections are really great showing different things in the reflection and then they would kind of pull them up and then you'd see their their faces and could actually see their reaction to those what they're looking at 
I just really attention to detail and crafted extremely well. I agree. That was awesome. His whole mission was to go to Mars in order to send a voice transmission to reach his father on Neptune. Mm-hmm. I don't have a ton to say other than I'm pretty sure he's wearing Yeezys on his feet. <laughs> yeah, that was the point where we looked at each other and I was like, <laughs> sneaker game strong. Like right at the, because that's not anything that has to do, like that's not what the scene's trying to do at all. Like no, no one else, I don't think noticed that, but this particular shot, they show his sneakers and they're really cool. Oh yeah. And I think we were thinking the same thing at that point. Definitely. <laughs> this film is pretty complex in its themes it's juggling a lot of things at once. Throughout this whole film, you get, you know, the idea of a man isolated, both within kind of himself, right? Even when he's around people, he seems isolated, but he's definitely physically isolated when he's in space. You have the father dynamic mm-hmm. that is weighing on him. They explore more and more the further we get into the movie. Yeah. You've got the smaller things that he passes through, like the commercialization of space, and there's loss along the way. People die on this journey. I mean, mm-hmm. it's thematically i think there's a pretty poignant commentary on ambition and the cost of it Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that i i definitely think i need to see it again in order to really let it all sink in because although it's there's a lot of space in the movie pun intended Mm -hmm. meaning outer space of course but there are a lot of long slow moments yeah where we're just where we're sitting with brad pitt taking it in understanding where he's coming from it is dense thematically i would say i think one of the most interesting things about the movie is that you have this deeply personal story in the context of this vastly huge space so there's that sort of dichotomy there and we don't necessarily see that sort of personal journey and um, conflict in that sort of setting and so you're getting like the wonder and just You're amazed visually and how grand things are just like so stunning, but also it's deeply personal solo story. So that sort of a clash is interesting. And just the idea of what it's like to be alone and then or in that context, it's magnified. Yeah, I wrote a note here. An isolated man obsesses about his mistakes. I think you see Brad Pitt doing that a lot, obsessing about his relationship with Liv Tyler, who is only kind of shown via flashback or, you know, videos from his past. Right. We didn't really mention that, but at the beginning, it sets it up to where he's kind of describing his uh, life to someone. And he says that he's been married once, has no kids. And so, I mean, it's just clear that he's divorced and it's probably because this has been the most important thing to him. Yeah, his work. That idea kind of struck me because it it seemed like I I could see that that idea of obsessing over negativity and and the mistakes you've made, especially if you're alone in space, kind of driving you mad. Yeah. And I think that that, without getting too far into spoiler territory, I think that may have a little to do with the fate of his father. Mm -hmm. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, how kind of true that. Uh, yeah, they they even mentioned like the like the sins of my father is kind of like a an overarching. I think they actually say it in the in the film, and it's like you could tell that something that it weighs on on Brad Pitt's character for sure. And that was another one of those moments that was a little you didn't need to say. Yeah, that it's out like loud. a show. To We're all tell, thinking. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Someone had explained that they had read an initial script to this, and Brad Pitt's character was supposed to be like on the autism spectrum. 
and there was different family dynamics involved. And maybe some of those particular uh, scenes and dynamics in the film might make a little more sense. Or, I mean, even some of the inner dialogue might make more sense, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, I could definitely, that's not a stretch from just watching the character as we saw. Um, right. Right. So, so that would make sense. I think besides Brad Pitt's performance in this, I think that the visual effects and the audio mixing are pretty extraordinary. Just like films like Gravity or Interstellar, they just do a great job. And the cinematography is wonderful as well. And it's a same cinematographer that did Interstellar. There's a beautiful depiction of Neptune. And it, I think that's just one of the most striking visuals of the film in the mix of a ton of striking <laughs> visuals. But you're destined to have those when you're making a film about space. But right. I think the way they portray Neptune and, and kind of the characters interact are particularly striking in that sequence. Throughout this movie, I think the lighting is amazing. I agree. And the visual effects also amazing. And Hoyt von Hoytma is the cinematographer. I just right. wanted to put that name in there. And one thing that we also should talk about is the score of this film. Um, legendary Max Richter is one who composed at least most of it. I just think the sparseness of it kind of fits with the film. It just works. It doesn't seem like it's over overly grand or overly emotional or oftentimes scores can lean in that direction and kind of make you emotional just by the sound. And I, don't, I think that can be a little manip manipulative sometimes. Yeah, honestly, I never, I didn't even really notice the score that much, but I don't think that that's necessarily a criticism. Like it was so perfectly. That's what I mean. Yeah, the place, it, it, it seemed like it was placed well. It was a completely immersive experience, and the score obviously plays a huge part in that. So yeah, can I talk about maybe one of my favorite moments? Yeah. Most striking visuals. This goes back to the cinematography. So there's a scene towards the end. I won't get into any spoiler territory, but there are two men in space suits out in the vastness of space mm -hmm. that are essentially fighting. They're like grappling. Mm -hmm. And as they start, they kind of like lock arms and are like trying to gain control of the other. As that happens, the camera cuts out to a super wide shot and mm -hmm. you see these two small men grappling in the expanse of space. Maybe it's somewhat of a cliche point in a space movie, like how small we are as humans. Yeah. But it really did strike me how the conflicts of man are so insignificant in the grand scheme of the universe. Mm -hmm. Just the small idea of maybe we should just stop fighting. I'm with you on that, but I also think the movie... Like it has something to say about that, but it's also something to say about just what an inner turmoil or an inner conflict, how that can be just as big to an individual as all of these external, more grand ones. So I thought placing that in the midst of the our significance in the grand scheme of things was well placed. Did you have happy tears at any point watching this movie? I think they were creeping on... Uh, it might have been just when he kind of went off script. You know, they were sending these uh, transmitting messages out to kind of deep space and in hopes that they would reach his father. And he was kind of given these scripts in order for, in hopes that his, his father would be alive and, and send something back. There's just a point he breaks from the script to try to give his father more in, incentive. And it just seemed like some sort of humanity that we hadn't seen in his character before, but it also seemed like something he'd been wanting to say for a while. And in, in that point, he kind of breaks from the script, breaks 
from the character that we know a little bit and uh, is just reveals a part of himself that it's clear that he hasn't, like he almost doesn't know how to react to what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, it was a beautiful bit of acting. He yeah. really showed a vulnerability. I had a, a single tear streaking yeah. down my cheek. And it was at the end. He's talking about his father and his work in space. And he says he saw only what was not there and missed what was right in front of him. Mm-hmm. And he's just talking about his own relationship with his father. Yeah. The grappling with the relationship is, of his father, I really connected with weirdly because I think I identify with his father a lot in that I have been driven a lot by my ambition and uh, focus more on work and the things that I'm driving towards more than like things like my family and, right. and people around me. And so um, it was an interesting experience watching this film where I see myself most in this character that's being set up as someone that's potentially done some terrible things. We don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. De- definitely, at least in abandoning his family, they they are not shy about that. Right? Yeah. And honestly, in the realm of emotion, when we, I think I texted you after we left the film that I was just, I felt weird kind of all day yesterday after mm-hmm. we watched this movie. So I think I liked the movie, but like still processing, right? wrestling with some of the themes and the ideas that were presented. And it is a, a film that really stuck with me throughout the day, emotionally speaking. It just kind of yeah. burrowed its way into my brain and just kind of. I think I'm still processing it, but I was like, I was kind of on the verge of tears for like the next couple of hours. It was weird. Yeah. But overall, I like this movie. It is pretty heavy. It does deal with a lot of heavy themes, definitely daddy issues, you know, the cost of a parent abandoning his child and family and, and ambition and isolation. Yeah, I would agree. I, I had a, a positive experience with the movie and kind of went over just couple things that made less sense to me like the occasional action sequences that I don't know fit as well as they could have or were necessary at all but everything was certainly cool to look at right <laughs> and yeah you know, like even in those scenes is what I mean and overall I think it's a really great performance from Brad Pitt and that's two great performances of the year for old Brad. That is something that I did think about while we were watching it was how different Roy McBride, his character in this, is different from Cliff Booth. And the, his physicality is so different. He, he's Brad Pitt's a great actor, man. Of course. He's just so good. And yeah. you're right, two, two good performances of the summer. But I would, yeah, I'd definitely recommend going and uh, checking this one out in theaters while it's there. It's another good space film to add to the, the list of good space films. Do you have a favorite space film? I saw 2001 during a 70 millimeter festival in Chicago uh, that they have at this place called The Music Box. It's an amazing theater in Chicago. And just that experience itself uh, will always stay with me. So in terms of movie experience, I think that's got to be it. That's a good one. The, the third act of that movie just it loses me. I just have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Actually, in, in terms of indie films, I really like the film Moon. Moon is awesome. Yeah, I that love that. That movie's super cool. So I think my favorite space is, it's tough not to say Star Wars. Right. When people ask me what my favorite movie is, I always say in the top three is Apollo 13. I mm-hmm. just love that movie. I love Tom Hanks. I love the crazy story of, first of all, the idea of humans trying to go to the moon and then... When something goes wrong, banding together to solve the world's hardest problem of bringing three humans back with science and math. Mm-hmm. And it's 
it's just great. I had a good question for the people. Oh. Because I, I was interested in what their, if they have any space related happy tears and, you know. Oh, that's great. <laughs> because. Way better than the bullshit I was going to ask. For me, I have one in particular that I'm thinking of. And so every year, Gina and I go see the uh, animated shorts that are nominated for the Academy Awards. This one from 2015 is a short film titled We Can't Live Without Cosmos. It's a beautiful little 16-minute short film about these two cosmonauts who kind of stick together through this journey. And it's an animated short but it is definitely happy tear inducing and other tear inducing and i so that's what immediately comes to mind because i i still think it's one of my we've done this for several years and it's definitely one of my favorite shorts i've seen that's awesome so i I think you would love it you would definitely yeah i think you would love it Uh, i gotta check it out (laughs) i'll try it i'll find it and send it to you that's the thing is how do you find short films once they're uh let's look on vimeo first i think that's always kind of where i look first and then they might have it on on their website or something or, okay but let's cool. let's see where that's available and we can link it in the show notes if we find it um i think for me i got some good happy tears watching the apollo 11 documentary earlier yeah. this year the comic book series saga yeah is a big one for me it's one of the most praised comic book series of the last couple of years it's a space opera kind of like descender what we're mm-hmm. talking about today and it's so great and then every star wars trailer that comes out yeah oh man i cry dude that's a great i mean i cried i think six or seven times during episode eight the last jedi because i just love it so much and a lot of people hate that movie and i get it i have a lot of issues with it mm-hmm. but watching princess leia get the superhero moment that she always deserved Made me ball my eyes out. Anytime I see Carrie Fisher, I cry. Mm-hmm. I had tears creeping during the trailer that played during Ad Astra because yeah. she was there. Well, let's turn it to the listeners. What are some happy tears that you've had? In space. In space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brought on some, by space or, or... Give us some space-related happy tears. Yes. Hey, guys. Um, it's Natalie. I'm a super big fan, and I also have a lot of happy tears at different kinds of art. And I have a couple of recommendations for you and all of your followers. Um, one, I think you should watch Hunt for the Wilder People. It's a movie out of New Zealand. I think it's absolutely amazing. Uh, two, I think you should watch Captain Fantastic, which tackles mental health in a lot of different ways. And three, I want to recommend to you to listen to the artist Chica. Or it's, it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> I'm recording this at a party, so that's cool. Um, I think you should listen to the artist Chica. She goes by Oranica on social media. Um, check out her freestyles. She's fantastic. Um, she has one actual single out right now, but I expect big things from her, and you guys should jump on the bandwagon ASAP. Okay, the end. <laughs> we have amazing fans. We do. So that was Natalie with some recommendations <laughs> for us and all of the listeners. The links these fans go. If you could record from the Netherlands, if you could record from a party, I know you could record from home yeah. on your couch. <laughs> N- none of you people have an excuse. <laughs> have you seen any of those movies or listened to that artist? Did she say Chica? I think she said Chica. Let me look up and see. Well, we might she... need to hit up Natalie and 
<laughs> get follow up. Get, get a follow up about what to listen to there. But I have seen Hunt for the Wilder People, and it it is uh, super charming and really funny. I love Hunt for the Wilder People. It was one of my favorite movies that came out that year. I think like 2016, maybe. Yeah, somewhere in there. Uh, Taika Waititi of right. Thor Ragnarok and the upcoming Jojo Rabbit. What we do in the shadows? Such a great movie. It's actually pretty similar, I thought, to the Peanut Butter Falcon in some yeah, ways, which sure. we're talking about next week. So mm-hmm. great movies. I haven't seen Captain Fantastic. I've always wanted to watch it. We should watch that. And we should check out Chica, although I can't find her on Spotify. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to do some follow up with yeah. Natalie. Thank you, Natalie, for your recommendations. We want more people to be sending us stuff like this. It's wonderful. We're always looking for new movies and music and things to watch and read and consume. So, listeners, obviously we're always asking you specific questions episode to episode, but feel free to always just recommend anything to us. You can find our voicemail link at happytearspod.com or you can DM us, send us Instagram messages. Yeah, however you want to get a hold of us, we're cool with it. Thanks, Natalie. Star Wars is a nice little segue here, I think, because the next thing we're talking about is a comic book series called Descender by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen that has six volumes and kind of follows this cast of characters, but mainly this uh, human-like robot companion named Tim 21. These comic books are set in a world where space travel is long been possible and real it's very much like star wars in that people are traveling to different planets there's a what they call the ugc the united galactic council right which is essentially like the senate or something in star wars right there it's like nine planets that are all part of this united nations of yeah of, Mm -hmm. of the galaxy in this world Robots are a huge part of the culture. Most everything is automated. There are robots that help with everything. There are companion robots, much like our main character, Tim 21. Mm -hmm. This story takes place in a world where 10 years earlier, these giant planet-sized robots essentially appeared out of nowhere, wiped out something like half of the population or a huge amount of people were killed, and then they just disappeared. And it set the world into a state of unrest, a state of war, paranoia. And anti-robot fanaticism. Exactly. And so now we're living in a world where the United Galactic Council is like barely staying together uh, because of so much distrust. And there are tons of people that call themselves scrappers that are traveling the universe just to kill robots or scrap robots. Right. And so... uh, That's kind of the world that we are thrust into when we meet Tim 21, who wakes up after being asleep for 10 years on this moon because the moon was essentially evacuated the night of what they call the harvester attacks. Those were the giant robots that appeared and disappeared and destroyed everything. And so at the start of the story, we meet Tim 21, a companion robot who's alone on a distant moon on the fringe of space. When he wakes up and is looking for anybody to figure out what happened and why he's alone, he plugs into this computer to figure out what's going on, and he kind of learns what happened 10 years ago. And when he plugs in, people find out he's there, and everyone comes after him. And so all these different governments and other 
groups are trying to get him either for scrap money or because we find out that his codex, his like digital code matches the digital code of the harvesters that came 10 years ago. And so it sets us on this epic tale where all these people are trying to get him and he's just trying to find his brother who he lost in the initial harvester attack. Right. So what initially drew me to this, I mean, I think this was the first actual comic book volume that I've bought. Like just the first one when it came out, I was at Red Pegasus. Local comic book shop in Dallas, Texas. Yep. It's great. Shout out. The artwork immediately drew me in and I was like, this looks pretty awesome. And I got it when the first volume was the only one that was out. And I also got the second volume. Coming from someone who hasn't really had a ton of experience with comic books, I've read several graphic novels, but in terms of like these ongoing comic book series, I don't have a ton of uh, experience with them. And so this was my first that I've gone through the entirety of. But the I think the artwork is, I mean, it's like its own character in this. And I mean, of course, that's how it is in comic books, but not, not all of them have this much of a, uh, you know, distinct style or whatever, this watercolor and ink. And occasionally these ones that don't have, or these panels that don't have any color to them. And that was a, another thing that was really striking. There's the panels without color are like representing these, these flashbacks. And I think that, that was a really Really cool tool that the uh, illustrator used. Yeah, Dustin Nguyen's art is just breathtaking. Yeah. There's something about watercolor in space, like the way those two things go together. Right. It's, so it's not it's it's not super like distinct lines or anything. Everything kinda has this sort of dreamlike feel and occasionally a whole page will be almost nothing in the the frame is distinct and then you know you get more hard lines on some pages and but it all kind of pulls this world and makes it like fully realized i think and then some of the collages and stuff on these full page panels are just done super super well and a lot of times they deal with memory so you get like these particularly the tim 21's memories of him and his brother andy and just a collage of memory and i think it's they're just really well done. Oh, it's beautiful. I think a lot of the themes this brings up are pretty profound things that I wasn't necessarily expecting from this just like space epic odyssey sort of thing we have here. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. Like specifically when they, there's like this robot battle Coliseum style thing that made me think of like those, uh, the, like the robot wars. What, what were those like caged? Oh, like that were like the TV show that was on yeah. like G four or yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, what what BattleBots? Yeah, BattleBots. That's hilarious. <laughs> and that show seemed like yeah, obviously it seemed like such a fun and uh, innocent show about these robots battling. But it turns back to like our fascination with conflict and battle and war or whatever, and the way that they place it in this particular scene in the comic book I think was really effective. There was just a, a moment early on when this, it says culling memory banks. Tim 21's kind of receiving these images back from his childhood that I immediately got <laughs> happy tears early on. Oh, really? On. Yeah. yeah, it's like his memory's like backing up because he, he his body like received a traumatic event so his memory has to back up so we see his memories kind of play out. Right, yeah. and it's just the like, I mean, this is a, a robot, but over the course of the series, you're you're more attached to humanity and these robots. And yeah, it's a really something that was unexpected for me when I was in, going into the series. Yeah, I mean, thematically, it does grapple with some pretty heavy and pretty complex issues. I mean, 
just the idea of slavery and mm-hmm. the human's relationship with robots, especially as you get later into the series, is yeah. very much uh, something that we have to address. And just bigotry in general, right? Like, there, there's a lot of people that hate each other just based on race or appearance, or appearance yeah. and... Uh, Where they're from and... Uh, yeah, because each of these planets have a distinct world and the way they function and the cultural hub looks at people from other planets differently and all that all that sort of stuff and those are relatable things so there are even parallels to like the trans community there are these characters in this that are humans that are becoming more and more like robots they get implants and uh yeah there are a lot of similarities with the way trans people are treated and persecuted in our culture Mm mm-hmm just right off the bat, you have Tim 21, who kind of has these kind of adapted emotions from his his family or what he calls his family. Right. Um, because that's what family is to him. And there's a, there's parts of that there. I think of like just being part of a group of people or growing up with someone that that's your family, no matter whether you have blood ties or not. So I thought that was really interesting. And then it's just full of some real fun characters like Driller, I think is a fantastic he's character. Love and the way they're personified is like, he's just kind of a big, goofy. Kind of dim-witted, hunking. He's a, he's a, he's a robot. drilling robot, right? Yeah. For like mining. And so yeah, he's not the smartest character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the way that he uses that sort of stereotype in robot form, I think is great. Uh, The way, I think it's in volume three uh, that you kind of get more backstory kind of on each character, I think is done masterfully because not all of these volumes follow the same structure. um, And that's what I think keeps him interesting because a lot of what's happening is kind of these space travel to planets, hop off, something bad happens, hop back on, go somewhere else. And then there's these simultaneous... Um, storylines but a lot of what keeps interesting is well for one the characters but then kind of these alternative structures throughout and yeah so it's definitely something i would recommend to people who have never experienced a comic series before it's a pretty cool place to start yeah he does a really good job especially because it is six volumes that just switching up the structure of of any one of those volumes keeps it interesting right right? and even in the later volumes so he splits the party really well and that's that's a term i kind of learned recently that's i guess from like dungeons and dragons but it's like a writing term about all right these three characters go off and do this then these three characters go off and do this and then this group goes off and do this that's something i learned recently is that something (laughs) that you'd heard before i don't think so yeah so that's something i learned listening to uh like a screenwriting podcast yeah but he does that right like he splits up the party and he does a really good job with simultaneous action Uh, i think it's in volume five there is a segment there are three different action scenes going on in three different like on three different planets and he just uses the panels like the top panel is one scene Mm -hmm. the middle panel going all the way across the page is another scene and then the bottom panel is another scene and it's masterfully executed how it keeps you engaged in all three simultaneously Mm -hmm. you never lose track of what's going on anywhere um and it's really exciting yeah it's just it was just great i agree just two other things real quick that i think the series does well uh one i think it does a great job of showing different parent child dynamics similar to ad astra of what you know the legacy a parent can have or just how a parent's actions can change your own life or change the way that you make decisions and all of those things. And you see those in a lot of these different characters. So I think that's uh, one. And then two, I think I talked a little bit about it with 
driller, but like how he, Jeff Lemire anthropomorphizes these robots. And you have like, like there's a scene with, there's driller and scoop. Scoops. Scoops, yeah. It's just like, it's so playful and fun and it's these huge grizzly robots these but hulking it's like... masses it's kind of like the the hulkbuster uh costume from iron man or from like avengers 2 or something yeah but just like kind of growing up uh interacting with one another and it's another one that i just kind of had a, a little creeping moment just it kind of that showing these two big characters having this relationship there's a fair amount of humor and tragedy within all of the volumes of this yeah it's it's very dense in terms of like they pack a lot of story into these six volumes and it's charming exciting touching tragic and funny i mean it's really really well done yep and a cool thing is that we have more so there's a another series titled uh, Ascender. There's probably one, maybe two volumes out, if anything. Cool. I have, I haven't read any of it. Yeah, but it's something I'd like like to cover in the future. I so. think we should for sure. Cool. So yeah, two thumbs up from me. Uh, something new and exciting, and a great great way to start off my uh, little comic book journey. Yeah, dude. One thing that um you mentioned last week when you were talking about, uh, I think it was the Tribe Called Quest book, you were listening to music and reading. Mm-hmm. One thing the first time I read, because I've read through this twice now, the first time I read it, I actually listened to Bonnie Vare's 22 A Million album, mm-hmm. and it was the perfect soundtrack for reading this. If you can get past like hearing lyrics in your head and right. your ears and also reading dialogue, that album sounds so spacey already, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like these distant echoes and if and when they adapt this to a movie, if it were me, that would be the type of soundtrack that I'd put to this because it was it was really cool. So if somebody reads this and can listen to music while reading it, I suggest that for sure. That's cool. I, I have not experienced that, but I did have... An experience listening to Arthur Russell and mainly the music I've heard from him have actually been covers of his work. So I've listened to a little bit of his uh, original stuff, but he's a cellist, composer, producer, singer. A lot of what his music is, uh, I guess, classified under whatever is avant-garde disco. (laughs) Okay. Or I guess that's how it's been explained on, on certain tracks. But anyways, some of those went really well with this material and it was, it was fun. That's cool. This IP was bought by Sony for the purpose of making a movie in 2016, I think. It was like right after either the oh, first wow. or the second volume was cool. out. It was pretty early. Um, the last I heard about it, uh, there were articles in 2016 that they had hired a writer, but that's obviously three years ago now. Yeah. So um, I, there haven't really been any updates. I, I will check back and see if I can find anything else, but definitely was bought very quickly for the purposes of adapting to the screen and we'll definitely get that in the next couple of years this was popular enough to where they're gonna make it cool i know you mentioned some creeping did you have any other happy tears you wanted to talk about i think those were two of the main ones the sequence of uh scoops and driller and it also you kind of get more of just during driller's backstory in general i think i had some of some of that and then in the beginning kind of those tim 21's memories yeah I had a couple different moments of happy tears. Yeah. First volume, 
pretty early in the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It was when Dr. Kwan and Tim 21 meet and Tim is still learning kind of what's going on, trying to figure out what he needs to do, wants to find his brother, Andy. There's just this beautiful, hopeful moment where Tim asks Dr. Kwan, well, I was made to help people, right? And he says, yes. And he goes, well, that's what I'll do then. I'll help people. And it was the most innocent, pure and striking sentiment. I just, it got me. And then the other two were, this one's maybe a slight spoiler, but when Tim and Andy meet again, that meeting was pretty powerful. Cool. And then really just when I closed the last page at the end, it just started creeping like, it's just a really good story. Mm -hmm. I just really enjoy it. And I've read it twice now and I've only read a handful of, of series Kind of, you were saying this is like your first real beginning to end kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but this is probably my favorite. Everyone knows I love space. Yeah, it's just so good, man. It's good. I think that short film I was talking about, We Can't Live Without Cosmos, this kind of reminded me of, I don't know if it's like just the illustrations, but that's why I, I think you will have a nice little cry fest. Yeah. There were some similarities between the movie Ad Astra and the comic book Descender. Thematically, of course, dealing with parents and abuse, but also just the idea of a man goes off into space to try to move the world forward and what happens to that man afterwards and and the mistakes he makes or the journey he takes. Some interesting parallels there. So uh, I think we both recommend everything we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff today. I love when that happens. <laughs> Ad Astra is in theaters now. Go see it in IMAX. That's what I'm going to do next. And Descender will be on bookshelves pretty much at any comic book store. It was a very popular series produced by Image Comics. Yep. And you can use the local library as a resource because I'm sure that if you're in a big enough city that they will have this. Love our local Libs. <laughs> Thanks, Libs. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information and this episode's show notes at happytearspod.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at happytearspodcast. Nick is at Melita Graham and Brandon is at Mr. Brandon Henry. And don't forget, we want to hear from you. Our current prompt is what are some space-related happy tears that you have had? We always welcome recommendations on things that we should cover on the podcast or just listen to and consume in general. And we want to hear about your happy tears. What do you love? What makes you cry? You can also follow our Spotify playlist. It's titled Happy Tears Mixtape. And a lot of the songs on there are... Uh, songs that we recommend weekly or that we've discussed on the podcast. You could also find it on the homepage of the website and we add to that playlist weekly. One thing that we constantly forget to do is ask you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, those ratings really help us out, so that'd be wonderful. On the next episode of Happy Tears, we discuss Brittany Howard's debut solo album, Jamie, as well as the film The Peanut Butter Falcon. That's it, right? Farewell! That's an episode.